you know how many files are shared outside your organization? Do you know which of your groups or teams are actually being used? ShareGate's got your back. After helping thousands of customers move to Office 365, they have learned that the success in the cloud involves more than just migration. That's why they created ShareGate Apricot, an automated governance platform for Microsoft Teams and Microsoft 365 groups. ShareGate Apricot can help you answer questions like these without placing unnecessary restrictions on your users. With ShareGate Apricot, get full visibility across each team's lifecycle from creation all the way through archival. Automate manual tasks involved in identifying problem areas like inactive or orphan teams. Collaborate with team owners on corrective measures to keep your teams tidy and secure. That's also why they've combined ShareGate Desktop, their trusted migration and content management tool, with ShareGate Apricot in a single subscription so that you have everything you need to be successful in the Microsoft Cloud. Hello and welcome to Techsplaining. I'm here with uh, Rob Foster and we've got a special guest as well today. So we've got uh, Jackie from the National Computer Museum in Bletchley Park, England. So welcome Jackie to the show. Thank you very much guys. I'm delighted to be here with you. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we've been, um, I, I guess I, we, we were introduced uh, just over 12 months ago now. Um, towards the, the start of the pandemic through uh, through Microsoft. It was um, Claire Smith, one of the, uh, well, the, the MVP lead for the MVPs in the UK here. And um, I think it was a little bit of a cry for, for help from the museum <laughs> at the start of the museum for, for some of the, the things that you're going to be um, talking about on the show today. Uh, so some of the programs that you've, you've been running at the uh, museum and so on. And uh, yeah, I thought it'd be a, a great opportunity to get you on the show and, and talk about some of those things and also to talk about the, uh, the museum as well. So, uh, so Jackie, do you want to kick us off and uh, give us an intro to, uh, to yourself? Yep. so um, I'm Jackie. I'm the museum director here at the National Museum of Computing. And I have to say, it's probably the most awesome job that I've ever had the opportunity to have. And I don't plan on going anywhere. So you did say you have to pinch yourself <laughs> about uh, doing this job. So, so how did you fall into being the director of the, uh, the the computer museum? Well, if anybody could take this story as an inspiring story that, you know, if you believe you can succeed and that sounds really cheesy, but trust me, it happens. So I sit here now 44 and I'm a qualified fishmonger. And I'm now officially running the National Museum of Computing. I mean, it doesn't happen. You, you, you see it in movies. So I was working on a, within another role on the Bletchley Park estate. And I simply popped up for a cup of tea with the great Margaret Sale. So Margaret Sale is the former wife of Tony Sale. So the gentleman that woke up one morning and said, I'm going to re rebuild Colossus. I mean, come on, guys, who, who does that? <laughs> so I popped up one day um, and had a cup of tea with Margaret. She was just an absolute inspiration. Um, and somebody said, oh, someone needs to open the shop. So the, the group of school kids that were visiting, you know, could spend their pocket money. And I said, oh, yeah, no problem. I'll do it. Anyway, three hours later, I'd served 30 children, had no idea what I was doing, fell in love with the place and I never left. It's that simple. Um, the, the museum can, it's just got this power, you know, it's full of people with superpowers, but you, you get involved and then you just don't leave. But the opportunities that it allows you to kind of get involved with are phenomenal. I mean, I do pinch myself, honestly. We have very tough days, but 
most of the time I wake up and think, yes, and who am I going to see today? So that's incredible. And so for people that don't know, you know, what, what the museum is all about, um, maybe you can tell us, you know, you mentioned Bletchley Park there and, yeah. and, and so on. So uh, yeah, what's the history behind uh, Bletchley Park? So the, there is a site which um, there are two charities and it's called Bletchley Park. So uh, Bletchley Park was back in the day a secret code breaking location. So if you think World War Two and how did we crack those code, codes, you should be thinking Bletchley Park. Um, the where it is now, um, obviously after the war, uh, the site closed down and a group of people, a handful of people, um, decided to rally round. And when we say people, imagine a derelict site that had so much history, so many exceptional pe people working there, but were, you know, they, they weren't allowed to tell their families what they were doing on the site. It was all secret. But anyway, the site closed down. And I think 1993, um, a group of veterans met up with Tony Sale and Margaret Sale, and they said, help us save the site. And you know what? That's what they did. And can I just say, at 65, when someone says, help us save a precious site, and, you know, Margaret and Tony both say, yeah, no problem, let's do this. That, again, is inspirational because, you know, I think at my age, I think, oh, yeah, I'm going to retire at 60, you know, not start a new transition, a new journey. So the site basically started um, with the Bletcher Park um, and it was one site and it housed a group of volunteers that basically tried to keep a form of upkeep of derelict buildings. You've got a beautiful manor house, you've got a fantastic lake and various huts. And within those huts, different code breaking activities happened. Um, it, it evolved very quickly. There was lots of sort of financial funding coming through, which is absolutely fantastic because the site looks beautiful. So anyone that hasn't visited, you've got to book your ticket. Um, now, where are we? We've got two charities on the site. You've got the Bletcher Park Trust and the National Museum of Computing. Why are there two charities on site? Well, I personally think because there's such a huge story, you can't do the story of Bletchley Park and the National Museum of Computing in one day. So actually, you know, you, you could do a year of visiting both of us and still not get all the information. So yeah. that's where we are. So we as a museum, we sort of start. Um, I would say that we have the world's largest collection of uh, working computers in the world. Now, somebody is going to shout me out and say, no, um, that's not right. <laughs> Probably an American. <laughs> yeah. But you know what, guys? Bring it on and you tell me and let's see what we've got. You know, maybe we can collaborate. But um, we start with the Turing Welshman bomb um, and the Enigma story. So, you know, we always talk about the great Alan Turing, but let's not forget some of the eight great people that were working alongside him. You know, but they were working as a team. You've got Gordon Welshman, Tommy Flowers. There are so many fantastic people that built, created these machines that, that did fantastic things and, you know, saved lives. So, um, you know, that's a really important story. So, yes, we start with the sort of 1940s. We have the only working collection, full collection of working machines that tell the code breaking story. And then our museum sort of evolves into 1950s to, through to the present day. Um, but can I just say to, to the listeners that when we say museum, quite often people will think, oh, things in glass cabinets and boxes and you can't touch. No, no, we're working. We are hands on and working. You want to see how the Enigma works, how the Turing Welshman bomb works. Um, you want a piece of paper tape from the Colossus. Um, you know, all the way through, we're hands on. So I, I just have to make that point. That's amazing. And, and the Colossus, so, yeah, the reason why it was rebuilt, <laughs> I guess, was because it was dismantled. After, uh, it, nobody knew it existed uh, until, uh, yeah, the, was it the, the 1970s? Yeah. Uh, 
and so, uh, yeah, that, that's why it's rebuilt from uh, from tiny little components. <laughs> yeah, and, and if you think about the journey, I mean, and, and obviously Tony Sale is no longer with us, and actually we, you know, we've we've got some of Tony's sort of you know paperwork and what have you, and I'm really excited to see what's in there because that man's journey is just mind blowing, and that's what we know about him. Um, but yeah, he had six diagrams and decided to sort of travel the world and gather components and parts to rebuild Colossus. So I believe you will not find ever another working Colossus. And our building, which we call Block H, um, is the world's fur first purpose built data center. So it's a really special building. You know, it's World War Two. It needs a lot of work, but it does house this collection and two Colossi stood in that um, in that physical building. So um, it, it, it's got the journey, the history and, and the memories all within it. Um, and, you know, it works. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> so, so, Rob, you, uh, you you mentioned recently about going to uh, to Berlin. <laughs> and, and yeah. so, <laughs> so I think you've got to, uh, when, you, when you're over this side, come and visit the museum and have a look at some of these machines before you go over there. Yeah, it sounds like my kids would really enjoy this. You know, the, the hands-on part of that is such a uh, critical uh, piece, especially for kids, right, that want to learn and touch. And, you know, because I think it really, that interaction makes them really um, uh, have, the, have the information set, right? If they can go and touch an Enigma machine or whatever, that that's, uh, that, I, mean, I want to do it. I want to come play. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, one, know one, thing, one, one question I did have is you said it was kind of like a, um, you know, what we would call kind of an estate, right? You've got, you've got several different houses and things like that over there and a lake and all that. If you were just driving by, like say in the 1940s when this was going on, uh, would you know that there was something going on there? Or would it just be like a, like a manor home that was just, just there and or or would it because I think I think like um so east of where I live there's a little town called Oak Ridge and they were building a bomb there around the same time and like it's pretty clear that there's a, something governmental going on you've got to have IDs and it's fenced in and you know all these big block buildings and stuff like that what's what's yours like I mean what because it, it sounds like it's it's quite quaint and 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 very like unsuspecting that there was anything happening it is. I mean, I wish, you know, one wish is to go back in time and be there, you know, um, and it's kind of just set back off the road. So actually, visually, you wouldn't see it unless you actually drove into, um, you know, one of the areas. Now, we're using a different entrance than what I believe they were using in the 1940s. Um, and the, the stories that we get from the, you know, sort of slightly more mature people that come to visit, you know, um, I would either be picked up and driven to Bletchley Park and then driven back out again. Some would cycle there. So there was lots of obviously people on and by bicycles or motorbikes coming in but literally I've seen photographs and you don't see it from the air you could see it but there were flat roofs obviously buildings that were built to, mm -hmm. in case they were bombed etc but no it was really secret you wouldn't see it I mean the mansion house if you come you know now and you look up you won't see the mansion house from the road um you know and it's crazy, really. I I just don't know how we got away with it. You know, it's, how many it's, how many people worked there? How many people worked oh, there at the time? God, it's thousands and thousands and thousands, and I should know this number exactly, and I don't. Um, and they keep coming out of the woodwork even more, and some died without even telling their families that they worked there. Um, but it was a significant number. It wasn't like ten people or whatever. It no, was a significant oh, no, number to where thousands, you know people yeah. like. There were a lot of people coming into that town, and you know they were just. <laughs> and it is, and it, and Bletchley's not a particularly big town, but and this is quite a big plot, um, or it used to be. So I, 
I, I, it's really hard to get you. It's surreal to think, you know, these days we know where everything is. And you might drive past and see a new big house or something, but no, then no one knew about it. You know, and there are obviously so many different locations across the country which were being used for this type of activity, you know, with men and women doing, you know, in very important roles. Uh, it's crazy. Honestly, I think you'll be when you visit, you'll be blown away because you know the 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 huts have been kind of um restored now um and the the information it's almost overload trust me you do need it it is (laughs) that's kind of that's kind of interesting too because i i guess the building so far away from a major city which i mean i'm sure it's closer to birmingham or somewhere like that uh you know but but it's you know you're not in london down you know you're not in like the center of the city you're not in manchester or anything like that so you know, if any any enemy aircraft were, were to fly over, which I'm sure they did, um, they were, it was just unsuspecting, right? It's just, oh, there's some buildings, whatever, there's some buildings, I'm headed to London or whatever, you know? And yeah. that, that's that's kind of interesting that they would build it that far out because I'm sure there was no rail system or there was no trains at the time that would, would get you there or... Um, well, so again, this is this is not me because I, I love a little bit of a story. So when I started on the site at Bletchley Park about nine years ago, there was a phenomenal man called Jack Darra. Um, and Jack Darra had, you know, probably the largest collection of Churchill memorabilia. And he was very close to the remaining Churchill family. Um, and he sat in this block, a block, and he sat, you know, every day he'd be there to greet the customers. And I remember Jack was feeling a little bit poorly one day and I popped in and we had, you know, a cup of tea and a cake. And there was loads of people looking around this wonderful collection. And he said, Jackie, you do realise there are secret tunnels. There are secret tunnels from Bletchley Park to the rail- train station. And that's where Ch- how Churchill got in and out of the site. Now, I don't think anyone's found these Rob's secret just tunnels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the train line goes from Bletchley to Euston in 34 minutes on a on a fast train now. So hmm. yeah, I, I mean I if because I had the opportunity to go and find these secret tunnels, you know, and go from the mansion from Bletchley Park and get through to the train station. I think that'd be phenomenal. But again, I don't know whether it's true. But you know what? The story went on for years and I loved the way Jack told it. So and you, you have to remember, you know when sites like this this site's been open you know since 1990s now it's flourishing you've got you know fancy you know fantastic exhibitions and people telling the story um but just go back if we could go back you know to the 1940s can you imagine just walking into that site and just you know being able to observe everything going on whether it's someone that was you know in one of the uh, rooms in the mansion or you know cycling from um there was a cycling from the manor house to this hut which they called the old canteen and the old canteen from what we gather was where the anyone that worked on the site would go for dinner but they'd have dinner and dancing so the social aspect in world war ii you know people were really working what you know 18 hours a day or something ridiculous you know very young ages but they still had that dinner dance aspect where they'd all kind of come together and collaborate that Oh, that would blow my mind to give that. Someone, someone do this for me. Time capsule time, you know. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, look, we're keeping a huge part of history alive. And it's not just our history. You know, it's all of our histories. You know, the Americans, the Polish, the Germans, everyone. You know, we are telling the story. And the main thing is that we're kind of hopefully interpreting it in a way that we are then infusing and inspiring the next generations. Because that's what it's all about. You know, World War Two is it what six year period? You know, it's it's there. And thank goodness, it, it you know, it's done as such. But what came from that and the people we can inspire now, you know, what's coming next? So that's, I think, what we're trying to achieve. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that that just sounds, I mean, there's no doubt that these brave young women, women and men, you know, saved the world there, just in a little, like a little town, right? And they're just working so hard, 18-hour days, and they had all this thing, but, you know, they truly saved the world. I mean, it's just, it's just so, I mean, I, I can see how it's so awe-inspiring to just step on those grounds and, and just feel that energy and feel that, uh, that's got to be just amazing to go to work there every day. And it's, it, you know, it really is. And I remember that, you know, when I first started, I mean, the science changed and I think for a positive, you know, for positive reasons, but I used to sort of pull up, you know, outside the mansion, I'd park underneath this tree and I'd just stop and take a breath and think, wow, who stood in this spot? I've just jumped out, you know, who am I standing? Whose foundations am I standing in? Um, and it is beautiful. And I doubt that many of them got that much time to sit by the lake and, you know, chill and, you know, write a poem or whatever, or, or did they? Did they? You know, I'm sure <laughs> yeah. that there was romance as well as, you know, um, people working very hard. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure I'm sure that was good for them to disconnect, you know, because sometimes I know when like you know, I'm not doing anything remotely close to that. But, you know, sometimes you get sucked into your work or whatever, and it's good to just step away and go for a walk or whatever. And I'm, there's no doubt they did that and went out to the lake. I mean, who swam in the lake? Right. Did somebody go <laughs> in and drink it or whatever? Right? I, I don't know. That'd be. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I have to say that the Bletchley Park Trust, they, they do a podcast as well, and they, they, they picked up on some new material just recently. And I was so inspired by just a very short video footage of real people back in the day doing what they did, um, you know, and preserving that material just gives me goosebumps. And it's, it's essential. You've got to do it, haven't you? Um, are, are there any pictures or anything like that that exist of, of people in their kind of work day there? Or is it is it just kind of shut off? A, there's a few um, pictures that um, well, there's pictures if you go, you can Google, obviously finding the factually correct ones are there. But um, I know that Bletchley Park have published various books and, um, you know, they've got some really, really good content. And it's when the visitors, so a lot of the wrens that worked, you know, whether it's with Colossus or the bomb, they have come back to the museum and visited and they bring the photographs of them. You know, and you see the, you know, these beautiful, young, inspiring people. And this is me when I was 18 and this is me now. Whoa, you know, so there is so <laughs> yeah. much and, and any information or any photographs like that, we've got to capture you know, and make sure they are preserved because history. Time's running out. Yeah. Time's running it out. Is. It really is. <laughs> We're losing far too many people. Um, and, you know, it's the knowledge transfer. It, 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 it just their journey. I mean, everybody on the planet, their journey is important. And I think everyone's journey should be recorded. And we're probably doing that, aren't we, with social media and things like this, actually. <laughs> but um, back in the day, they didn't have that, you know, so... What what are what what is I guess the most um the the prized the, the most prized exhibit you guys have I mean if you were to come and say what are what are the like top three things that are must sees must dos uh, there that that you just like you would just miss out on the whole point if you if you didn't see this I would say our people um, because our machines don't run our story isn't told without the people so. If you took every exhibit, you know, the Turing Russian bomb, the Enigma, the Colossus, the, the Heath Robinson, the witch, the first IBM, the Apple, you know, the the whatever it may be, the Sinclair Spectrum. If you take all of those out and you have an empty building and you bring those people in there, boy, can they tell you the story. And I think they tell the story of those exhibits and the people who created them and why they were used so well, you'd probably come out and be able to sketch what and what it was and recite it. Um, but again, you know, I, it, it, for me, it's about the people. I mean, because they are sharing their knowledge and they're, you know, sharing history. Um, but if I had to take it out, 
if you look at our Google Analytics, so let me go with that one. That's a safe bet. I would say Colossus is our number one. Colossus is our biggest search um, uh, on our a search tool. Uh, the Turing Russian bomb always. Enigma is fascinating because people go, oh, Enigma, Enigma, great Enigma. But again, you know, no offense, guys, but you can buy an Enigma online. You know, I'm not saying it's not important, but if you look at the Turing Welshman bomb, every drum is effectively enigma. So again, and that's, a, I, I couldn't say one thing, you know, I mean, I think a lot of people come in, they go, oh, Atari, I love the Atari. Oh my God, when I was a kid or, you know, the, um, the old mobile phones, people get really excited by. Um, Spectrum is always the one, the one with the rubber keys. You know, I they, think that's like, when, when you sort of our, our generation and, and yeah, you see some of these things that you grew up with when you were a kid or, or whatever. Like when we're in the, uh, the, the room the other day with the Kids Ambassador Programme, uh, there was a mobile phone. And I was like, that was like my dad's in 1985. And that's it, isn't it? So when you came, Brett, it, a, a lot of our visitors, it's all about nostalgia, you know, um, the younger generation, it isn't obviously, although we have got stuff, you know, the, a recent iPhone, you know, that's been upgraded six times now and that's in, you know, in a museum display somewhere. But it is nostalgia and it's how it made you feel, the people that you were surrounded by, you know, oh my God, did I get a BBC Micro? You know, did my school, we did. And, you know, some people's careers have been based on programming um, a BBC Micro. Um, I'm hoping you might know right. what one of those is. <laughs> Uh, absolutely right yeah it's it, it is really amazing um yeah just that area where you've got all the sort of 1980s gaming machines and things like that as well it's uh it's, it's really incredible to to see but uh yeah that's that's absolutely fantastic and anybody that wants to um see the museum can also do that online right you can go to uh to, to the website and you can do a virtual tour yeah um, so i'd really like to sort of say that actually and, and we're talking it doesn't matter what age group you are i mean the youngest are sort of engaged audience I think we've had would definitely be sort of four-year-olds upwards so and again that'll be my grandchildren starting that you know um but we want to get you know the younger generation as young as possible let's start inspiring them and getting them to use technology well and understand why it's here and what it can do um but the online yeah a, a, a great friend of mine um uh, Keith from Venue View, he 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 does the 3D tours and during the pandemic Brett you know what I was like you know all museums I think went into kind of and a chaotic meltdown of how are we going to survive and just having that person give me two days of their time they scanned the whole museum and the reason we did that and it's for free was to stay connected with anyone in the world so we wanted to give them something that was kind of slightly you know immersive educational you could do it as a family you might do it as a team online um, so that was our thank you to anyone that had engaged to say, come and see what we've got. You don't get the smell. You don't get the, the volunteers. You don't or get the, the explanation. <laughs> yeah, or the leaky roof. Um, you don't get the, the young girl, the, you, the young students in a, in a room, you know, buzzing because they're learning something new from a mentor, whether it's virtual reality or, you know, programming. But it was a it was a kind of bridge. You know, we're here for you. Um, yeah. So the online is really, really good. And I would say that if anyone wants to kind of experience that, we, we'd happily and we did a lot of overseas, you know, get your team involved. Um, let's get you on the tour and let's challenge them. You know, let's get them quizzed on what what the history of computing is. So. Yeah. I, I want to I ask a question about this student program you guys do, because I think it's so critical to get the kids in there and, and get them engaged and involved. What's that been like? I mean, do, do you find that the uh, the students are fairly receptive or I mean, what, what do they what do they do when they first come in? Because, I mean, they've grown up with technology for the most part uh, all of their lives. And what, what does a 
what does a kid that's maybe eight or nine years old that comes in, and I don't, I don't know the ages exactly that, that you start bringing them in, but what do they think? What's their first reaction? Are they like, oh my gosh, or kind of like, oh, this is boring, or well, what is the, what's the reaction? Yeah, so uh, what we found was that we have a huge um, and a very successful and um, Stanford awarded education program. So we do, we have school visits, university students coming, the teachers use us as a resource. It's a key resource to, to work alongside the curriculum for kids that are focusing on you know, computer science, mathematics, etc. But the ambassador, ambassador kids program was something that we wanted to do because what we found is, and I'm I'm one of these, so I'm a grandma, I've got an eight and a four-year-old, and it's quite easy to let them say, Nana, can I have a go on the iPad? And then you give them the iPad. But you're not experiencing these opportunities with them. And we all know how smart these kids are. So I approached um, Laura, who's one of our volunteers, and said to her, look, you know, you ran, ran a Coda Dojo pre-COVID. Could we set up... A, a session where um, we invite 16 young individuals and it doesn't matter about their abilities. We then scout for people to be mentors, people that have worked in industry, have got a passion for computing and technology, bring them together and the parents and we teach them, we teach them such a vast array of things so basically the first session they came in it's like what do you want to learn i want to build a retro game i want to do some virtual reality i want to learn how to program what is so important about that bbc micro why is colossus full of valves but the deck the witch is full of decatrons they don't understand and the main thing what they need to understand is how things have evolved so we basically listen to the audience we there was a demand parents need help um at, and support and if they can learn with their kids and watch their kids flourish, honestly, the moments I've had, you know, when I've walked into, you know, the, the hub or, or the classroom and I've seen a 10 year old completely building a world in Minecraft that I never could believe it could exist. That's creativity. That's that's not laziness, leaving them to do you just see what I mean. So I think what we're trying to do is just inspire kids to, to say you can. If you can't do it now, we'll teach you. And the mentors, I mean, Brett, I don't know how many hours you drove to come and mentor on that Sunday session, um, but you did. And I think you left with a smile on your face. I did. You know? it, it, it absolutely blew me away, actually. I, I mean, two, two kids really stood out. And I think, uh, you know, their, their images on your uh, website or, or the things that they were doing. So they had two little micro bits and um, two laptops. And yeah, the, we were talking 10 and 11 year olds who were able to program these micro bits using JavaScript to be able to communicate to each other and, and broadcast a message. And I said, wow, that's <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> you know? So yeah, we're not just, uh, it, I mean, some of them are learning from things like Scratch and so on, but some of them are also way, way more advanced than that. Um, and it also gave uh, some opportunities. There was a, a, a girl as well, I, I forget her name, but um, she was, I think, about 13 or, or so there with a the brother. And um, she really wanted to do uh, GCSE computing, uh, which uh, I don't know what your equivalent um, qualification is, Rob, over there in the US, but uh, it, it's basically the exams that you do as a sort of end of your junior high <laughs> over there. So um, yeah, she wanted to do the GCSE computing and, and couldn't get it as an elective. So this is an absolutely fantastic opportunity for her to still learn computing and, and learn how to program and so on, which, you know, she just wouldn't have the opportunity at school. And I think sometimes as well, what we've tried to do is, um, I mean, we've all been locked down and we've only 
most of us have stayed connected with other people, no matter if they're, you know, down the road or across the other side of the world is by technology. But it's been very insular. You know, you're on a screen and you're this. So I think opening up this program again to bring people together. So we're reconnecting them with society, which is huge. And kids have really struggled. I mean, my grandkids, we got to the point where we'd say we're going to the shops and they do. No, 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 we're not. We're not allowed out. You know, so I think reconnecting, bringing different groups of people together. And those yeah. are slightly disadvantaged. Some parents don't have access to tech. So if we've got it, sponsors give us the opportunity to purchase the, the tech, you know, the Raspberry Pis. You know, we didn't have those 400, but Brett sponsored us. And now we've got them. Kids can get hold of them. That This is the newest stuff, you know, and then they can build their own programs. Um, I, I, I don't know. I just it seems like a very simple thing to do. But the outcomes are huge. You know, it's about people. It's about learning. It's education. Um Hopefully it's bringing some, a smile on to some people's faces and, and giving them a bit of a break from what has been pretty challenging. Yeah, yeah I think I think those those Raspberry Pis, man, for, for like the cost and value for what you can get and what you can learn with that. I mean, you can learn everything. You can learn computing. You can learn engineering. You can learn just, I mean, so many things for like $50. <laughs> you know? I mean, that, that, I just keep, that just is just so mind-blowing to me. You know, as a, as a kid that grew up with it, I mean, I got my first uh, – a uh, little computer. It was like a, a Tandy TRS-80 uh, when I was 10 years old, right? And <laughs> it's come so far from, you know, from that, you know, <laughs> that was like, it was like, now you can get this, this whole little device that's, I mean, I think I've got one on my desk somewhere, but you know, and it just does so many things. And, and you know, just the opportunity to, to go back and be a kid again would be so amazing right now to be, to have all this stuff at your fingertips. I mean, I can't imagine what these kids that are growing up with this and learning the stuff that they're learning now are going to be able to do when, when they get my age and, you know, you know Brett's age, which he's a lot older than me. <laughs> and don't forget me and my age. <laughs> but, and also, I, I think actually we're all about the same. I'm really sorry. Cause I, I meant to bring this Brett. I'm so excited to show you. So, um, what I think when I remember being at school, it was very, very scripted and it was very much right. Today, we're all going to do this. And a lot of it was theory work. There wasn't always an opportunity to get hands on. And that I very much learned that way. And I think for kids, it's really important. You give them something and you, you allow them to build it, to engineer it, to, you know, to adapt it. So for one of the next ambassador kids sessions, one of our volunteers has completely built um, a kit and what the kids will come away with they'll build their own mini computer so it's a circuit board they're going to do some soldering um, it's got an Arduino chip so that's really cool so they can go away and do more programming with it and you know what the bonus is within our autis um, autism in the workplace project some of those individuals are exceptional at 3d printing so we're going to design mm -hmm. a case to put onto it so we're not just saying right here's a here's a computer here's a you know a, a project build it we're going to get them really hands-on guys and this is the thing you know you wouldn't have that at home you know so i it the, it's the world is almost our oyster i know it sounds really really sad but it is and the kids say they want to build something we're giving them something to build that's no, no, I, I do want to hit on as well. Just <laughs> well, I, I do want to I do want to hit on this this topic as well because I think it's so important. Is the um the you mentioned the autism in the workplace initiative you guys have? Can you talk a little bit about that and and really um you know tell us what what it's about and kind of your your importance in in, in pushing and driving that? Okay, I'll try and do this without any tears. So um, I um, having been at the museum for nine years um. We, I think we're most certainly a, a, a community of people. We're like a family. 
And recognizing um, that people work differently has been something I've really learned to do a lot since I've been there. Because, you know, you're working with individuals that are volunteers, their staff, visitors, you know, all different age groups. But what I recognized was that we were getting a really heavy flow of visitors that, you know, were blessed to be neurodiverse. You know, they might have Asperger's or autism. Now, uh, we we sort of did a poll and we, we listened to our customers and basically what we found was that parents that have that have children that are with you know on the spectrum um found it really hard to go and visit places like our museum because they were criticized they were pointed out they were looked at and they weren't welcomed so we started to do some days called um, relaxed openings where we opened the whole museum everything was switched on and families within those communities could come free of charge and explore the museum that works really, really well. But what I realized was we were missing a trick because these were younger generations. What about an adult that's got a computer science degree, but somebody, or he hasn't had the opportunity to be employed because he's got autism. That makes me cross. It makes me furious that companies, industry, are fearful about employing people because they're open and honest and say, I'm really sorry, I've got Asperger's. That's a superpower. But what we do in society is isolate these individuals. So sorry, I, 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 I'm just so passionate about this. Having had a year and I know most of it was through lockdown, but I got to meet over 50 individuals online. We then um, came to a group of 12, which these are um, adults from 18 all the way up to 44. And all of them have got some form of qualification, but all of them have struggled to find a work placement that isn't forgive me, but packing, stacking a shelf or packing a van. What a waste of talent. So I partnered with Tom from Track NN and he is an absolutely phenomenal individual. He has opened a cafe in Northampton and he only employs autistic people and he runs a beautifully successful cafe. I mean, wow. Um, Tom had a history or a background of working and teaching in, in schools um, with, you know, with these sort of uh, these wonderful individuals. So Tom and I collaborated. We um, approached a group of people and said, will you support us to financially fund this event? You know, so we met with them three times a week and we worked with you. We didn't tell them what they were going to do. We asked them what they needed, because most of them, as I said, they've got more, more qualifications than I have on paper. And they've actually got, you know, so much passion and enthusiasm and expertise. But if you ask, you know, James, for instance, to shake his hand, he doesn't want to shake your hand. That shouldn't be, a, you know, a cross on a, a sort of an application to say I can't employ you. So basically, we've, we've worked with them for a year. Um, I have had the most emotional year with with um, goodness um, with them all. We've 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 become friends. We we we've had people within the group that didn't speak, and then suddenly they just say something completely out of the blue. And that is progress, guys. You know, we've got to the point now where we're allowed. We can high five in celebration. Um, one day we were in a particular session and one of the individuals said to me, I'd, I'd said something I, I, you know, um, in conversation and he sort of pulled his mask down. He said, Jack, is that sarcasm? Now, again, <laughs> someone that's neurodiverse, that was a moment where he was so proud because he had uh, understood sarcasm. Now, it's my form of sarcasm. It's not every employer's, but do you know what I mean? To be able to come into an environment, people let you be you. You can explore and kind of understand and, and, and evolve your skills and then be work ready. And that's the whole point. So sorry, I, I could go on all day about this one, but 
Um, anyone that's out there looking to recruit fantastic individuals, I've got a list of six people that are still looking for work, remote or physical. Um, I'm hoping that we'll be able to, as a museum, continue the initiative because it wasn't a project. It wasn't for fashion. You know, it wasn't it's not a fad. We will always work um, with these kind of these audiences, but also we're very accessible, you know, as a general museum. Um, but people with Asperger's autism, you know, the people that are autistic can change lives. You know, we, we sponsored or had the project sponsored to change their lives, but I think they changed ours. I, I, I can't explain to you. I, I, I feel blessed to have known them and I do believe they've got superpowers. So um, I'm going to stop now because I'm going to get too full. It was incredible Sorry. To, uh, to have the opportunity to meet some of them as well. Uh, I guess, was it last week? Yeah, last week. <laughs> uh, at the uh, so, so Jackie had organised a um the, uh, the the bloodhound uh, team to to come in and do a workshop for uh for, for yeah these uh, these autistic young adults and it was just really incredible to to, to see them actually working on a, on a project and uh, the, the bloodhound is uh, is basically a, a british built um jet car that they're trying to get to a thousand miles an hour and uh, so we had the opportunity to uh, sort of learn about the uh, the aerodynamics and, and the science behind you know building a, a 1000 mile an hour jet car and then you could go through and, and build one yourself so we started off with some connect kits and things yes. like that <laughs> uh, but then it evolved to that uh, you get a polystyrene block and here's some cutters that will cut through the polystyrene and, and this that and the other you go ahead design your own car and take into account everything that you've uh, you've just learned so yeah we're all building these uh, these rocket cars with basically gunpowder in the back of them <laughs> and, uh, yeah yeah it was, it was great because they were measuring the speed and everything and then scaling it up to what what sort of speed you would have got if that was a real car and uh, yeah a lot of them were like sort of 700 miles an hour and things like that which was just really really cool so uh, yeah it was, it was incredible to see them uh, yeah work together um and and to be able to meet them and <laughs> so on Brett, didn't you find i mean i don't know what expectations whether we've managed your expectations as a sponsor of this project um and obviously i've got a more personal connection because i've been with the group throughout the year but there were moments you know when it, it was pouring down with rain honestly and we were adamant we were racing these cars we'd spent all day building them um and everyone's outside the rain you know true British weather, you know, pouring down. We've got our umbrellas and the cars are sort of not firing and then they are firing. But the group were cheering. They were standing together within the within the community. They'd never met these sponsors before. This is a massive step, you know, because actually, you know, I don't think that it's it's that bad if you don't want to stand next to a stranger or you don't want to stroke, um, shake a stranger's hand. But suddenly we were a family. We were a unit in the rain, you know, laughing, cheering, celebrating. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was a good day. And I think that the impact was that, you know, our individuals got to meet industry partners because that might have been the first time they've ever got to meet um, a potential employer because they don't get through the door. They don't get past the application. So, you know, that was why it was such a big moment, because, Brett, you took time to talk to the individuals, chat to them. You treated them like a normal human being, you know, and that's what they need. So I thank you again for that. Oh no! I think for organising it, yeah. <laughs> you deserve the thanks. There, it's, it was incredible. Yeah, really, really good day. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so, um, so so there's the kids ambassador program. That's uh, I, I, I guess you're still recruiting uh, children for that as well. Is um, we so the you know the uh, the news release went out yesterday, yeah. um, which I'm really delighted because obviously we've been running it for a while now. Well, for a month or so. Um, 
and we had four new young people book on straight away. And uh, one um, parent, she sort of emailed me late last night and I replied to her and she said, I just wanted to say thank you to you and the team for giving my son the opportunity for this. And I sort of wrote back and said, absolutely not a problem. She said, we've been looking for something where I can bring him so he can engage. I just don't understand computers. So already we've done it. You know, that's that's yeah. one in, individual. But um, we, yeah, when we were running that one, I think the ambassador kids, we've got the neurodiverse um, autism, the workplace piece, but don't forget, we've also got as a museum opportunities online for talks and um, activities. We're doing cyber days, STEM girls days. We are very heavy on getting more girls into industry. So if you want to be an engineer, a mathematician, a scientist, you can do it. It doesn't matter what sex you are. You know, let's just guess we're in 2021 now. So we do special days where, again, sponsors come along and run hands-on activities. OK, it's not a lecture theatre. Hands-on, you build, you create, you crack a, you know, real-time problem. So that's coming with the museum. So we're not going to, you know, be open fully to the public because we, we just aren't in a position. But we will spend more time offering opportunities to young people. Uh, uh, all people, our age too, guys. I'm not, I'm not, you know, yeah. <laughs> you want to come along and, you know. Um, so, no, we've got a lot going on considering um, the times we're in, um, although things are looking bright at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, yeah, things are back to normal, obviously, for you as well as everybody else. But, uh, yeah, it will be uh, great to see the, the museum sort of um, busy again and everything, which I think it's getting there, isn't it? Yeah, I think the visitor experience, it's good for you guys because we're not quite as busy as we'd like to be or we financially need to be. But actually, one visitor is just as important as 200. So, yeah, so we're, <laughs> yeah. we want to stay connected with everyone. We'd love any, any opportunity to collaborate. I'll really, I'm honest with that. And if we can help anyone else, you know, because we've got a lot of resources and people. Some of our people are really hungry to share their knowledge. You just need to ask. So, uh, yeah, you should reach out if you need us. That's great. So, so where do people go to to uh, find more about the website, uh, well, uh, the the, the, uh, the museum? So I would go to www.tnmoc.org. And from there, you've got a raft of information and knowledge and, and wealth of expertise where, you know, what we've created and our events page. Um, if you go to what, you know, our events page, you can also see what's on virtually and physically, guys, because we, you know, we, we're not here just to serve the UK. We're here to serve the world, you know, um, and yeah, we, we've been doing it through lockdown. I mean, we've been delivering overseas to America. We've done some schools as well, which has been fantastic. You know, different time zones. That's been a, that's been interesting. Nine o'clock at night. <laughs> <laughs> delivering a virtual program um, but we did it because we were asked to so um, yeah the website is a really good point of call but again I'm always available if somebody wants to drop me an email or you know or call, call the museum so that's fantastic Rob do you have any more questions no I just I just think you know the the it looks like you guys are carrying on a great tradition of uh, Leslie Park being you know at one point it was to save the world and now it, it, it's very clear that you guys are making the world a better place. And and I can't say that I, we get a chance to talk to people that that really impact so many people in, in such a positive way. So, you know, from, from all of us here at the show, I mean, thank you. Thank you guys for, for doing what you do. Um, your work is important, not only for our history, but for our future. And, and I, I will take that, uh, you know, you can put that in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> Um, do you know what? That's really good to hear because I think you've got to understand that we are very, you know, we've got 97 volunteers that dedicate, you know, at least a day a week to deliver the story of the museum. Without them, we couldn't, we wouldn't be here. And obviously our trustees and our sponsors, because do you know what? Without all of those stakeholder groups, we, we wouldn't be here. And, you know, 
my day job is to inspire others. Can you imagine? You know, it's phenomenal. <laughs> um, and then I'm inspired by the volunteers and the volunteers inspire other. It, it, it's crazy. It's I just yeah. If anyone doesn't know about us, please get in touch because I'd love to connect with you know a much bigger audience and and support. That's the main thing. You know, never be afraid to ask. And I can I just make one point as well that sometimes I think when people hear the word charity, they think that the charity is always going to want something from them. But can you just note that the National Museum of Computing on Bletchley Park? Yes, it's a charity. It's a phenomenal museum, but it's always looking to give back, and we do that so well. Um, so yeah, I really want to make that point because I think what we've done in the last year to give back and we've survived. So yeah, thank yeah, you absolutely. guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, Jackie, it's been absolutely amazing to have you on the show and I can't wait until the next time that uh, I'm, I'm back at Bletchley Park mentoring. <laughs> I think it's, uh, yeah, uh, such a fantastic opportunity and, and thank you for, uh, for creating that as well. And um, yeah, I, I think, Rob, when you come over next year, hopefully, <laughs> I'll be dragging you to the museum. So, oh, do you know what? Love to come and help out. Rob, can we just put, throw the gauntlet down now? So, when you visit on your first challenge, we're going to take you through a two hour escape the museum. Okay. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. So, we have created puzzles and challenges. So, you, they're escape rooms. Um, and basically, you have to complete the challenge to get out the room. You've got fantastic retro counters on different machines. And I'm going to put you down. There you go. There's your. There's your about that would be awesome. I don't know if I can work an enigma, but I'll, I'll figure it out. <laughs> oh, you, you're going to have your cut, work cut out. But I think you know, with Brett and the team, you'll be able to do it. But uh, if let's make it a real immersive experience. I think you'll enjoy yeah, that. Be, that'll be fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks so much again for for coming on the show. This is fantastic. It's it's so important to tell your story, um, and and to to just encourage people to engage because this is such a critical part of uh, humanity. And, and I think it's great what you guys are doing. Thank you. Yeah, really appreciate it, Jackie. Thank you so much. Yeah, and yeah I look forward to seeing you again soon. I have a beautiful weekend, you guys, and take care. Yeah, likewise. Bye. Bye-bye.